0: Hello and welcome back to my podcast, Why Me? I'm your host, Jake. In this episode, I sat down with my friend Jess to talk about compassion fatigue. Listen to this episode if you want to learn about what compassion fatigue is, how to recognize it in yourself, and how to take care of your own mental health while taking while taking care of others. Enjoy.
1: Um, before we get into anything, I just want to say that there is a minor trigger warning just on the topic of suicide. Um, and also, before I get into anything, I just want to make sure that it's obvious that um, neither of us are healthcare professionals and that everything I say is really coming from my own first-hand knowledge, and by no means am I assuming that my situation is parallel to anyone else's.
0: I'm here with my friend Jessica Baldichin. Is that who say your last name? Did I say it right? I don't know
1: how to say my last what name. What do you mean you don't
0: know how to say it properly?
1: Baldachian, Baldachian, Baldashian. can I tell you? Baldashian, that's a good
0: one. So, and we are going to have a chat today about compassion fatigue and taking care of yourself as well as other people and how that kind of works. So first off, could you introduce yourself? Yeah, I'm (laughs) Jessica, and however
1: you'd like to say my last name, Um, and I'm with... Jack.org here at Queens. I'm on their internal events team. And then I also do a bit of my own mental health work in Toronto still, um, just with, in, uh, with my old high school. I'm still connected with them um, and the teachers there. And I'm here today uh, mainly to spread kind of, not I want to say awareness, but kind of to bring up the topic on compassion fatigue, which is known as the cost of caring. And just kind of to, you know, let people know that it's definitely important, a factor of self-care and kind of how to maintain it and keep it under, you know, a certain level so it doesn't start impacting yourself.
0: So before we get started, could you explain a little bit about what compassion fatigue means?
1: Yeah. So what compassion fatigue, I'll actually explain to you how my therapist explained it to me because I think it's, you know, a good analogy. If basically let's say, okay, sound weird, but let's say like, you're a bucket of water, mm-hmm. and every time you care for someone, you pour a little bit of your water out of you mm-hmm. into their bucket. So you, know, you keep caring, your water keeps pouring out and out and out, and you get so involved in supporting this person and being the main you know, caregiver for this person that you kind of forget to stop and refill your own bucket. And then, you know, next thing you know is that your bucket's empty, and when you're your friend or you yourself needs help, there's nothing really to pour out. And so compassion fatigue, which is, like I said, the cost of caring, is kind of that feeling you get when your bucket's either almost empty or empty, when you kind of feel a bit burnt out after caring so much.
0: It's a good analogy.
1: I know, that's what I said.
0: (laughs) So, to start off, could you talk a little bit about your experience with mental illness?
1: Yeah, so... Okay, so basically, one of my best friends passed away um, last November 9th, so almost a year ago, or about a year ago, sorry. And when I found out, I, it was really freaky for my parents because I wasn't surprised because I'd been caring for this individual being their main support system six, year, like six years in advance I'd started in grade eight. And every day, you know, before she passed away, it was kind of a matter of like, all right, today, am I going to choose taking care of me or am I going to choose taking care of her? When I thought, well, at the time, I felt pretty mentally stable and emotionally stable and my friend was not. So for years and years, um, until she did end up passing away, I would be not sleeping. I'd be at her house. I'd be, you know, calling um, professionals. I would be doing my own research on, you know, looking at, like, the best way to support my friend until it got to the point where it was really impacting my mental health Um, because the issue is, you know, and, like, I don't want to say, like, a normal friendship, but, you know, a less intense, like, mental illness-type friendship. Um, When your friend calls you because they're stressed, a friend would pick up because that's, like, the role you play, but the role I'd gotten myself into is that whenever my friend was suicidal, I would kind of help her through that. And that became almost, it, first it was a monthly occurrence, then it became a weekly occurrence, and then it was a few times a week. I'd be kind of talking my friend out of suicide. Um, when she did end up passing away, a few days prior to that, I think it was three or four days before she passed away, I had kind of realized I didn't know the term compassion fatigue, but I definitely felt it, and I did have to take a step back, which was terrible timing <laughs> looking back at everything, um, but it got kind of to the point where I was helping so much that I, A, didn't know how to help anymore because I'm not a professional, and I didn't even know if I was, like, I knew what I was doing was working because she was still alive and everything, but it was kind of, I, it kept getting worse, and I didn't know what else to do. And it also got to a point where like, I was so mentally exhausted, and it was almost getting frustrating for me. So I had to take a step back, but the issue is with compassion fatigue is that, like I said in the beginning, you don't want to wait till your bucket's empty to kind of realize that. You have to kind mm-hmm. of realize that halfway through, which is something I really did not do. I should have done that years before. Um, and, yeah, so that's kind of why now I'm such a big, you know, advocate of this because I see my friends, you know, exhausted in the morning being like, oh, like, I, my friend was really stressed out last night so I, like, stayed over at her house and I'm like, like, totally get that and I really, like, appreciate you doing that. That's incredible. But just make sure you then also get sleep. Make sure you also take care of yourself. Otherwise, you know, it's just going to go downhill.
0: I think, it's, I think it's interesting what you said about Every day you would confront the question of whether you would take care of yourself or whether you take care of your friend. And I think that for a lot of us, you know, that may seem, you know, looking back, it may seem like a question, but in the time it was not really. It wasn't. It was like,
1: it was like instincts. Like, I would wake up and, like, the first thing I would do instead of, like, going to eat breakfast, I'd, like, call her to make sure if she was, like, awake, if she was okay. And, like, it just, and, like, that's, I think what really screwed me over in the long run is that I was even thinking about myself. Mm-hmm. Like, in the back of my head, I was like, all right, so, like, we're going to check up on her, and then I'll probably go to hers later to just, like, make sure she's okay. And then, like, if I don't, I'm probably going to get a call at, like, 3 a.m. making, it just, like, about her doing whatever. And it was definitely a matter of, like, all right, whatever was going on in my life, I kind of pushed that aside. And then it got to a point where, like, my life, like, kind of, like, merged into hers, and we were just kind of, like... One blob of like stress. Right. So
0: And it's hard too because it comes from a place of love and, and wanting oh, to yeah, support your sure. best friend too. So how yeah. do you how do you go about balancing that? And it's I don't know, it's a good question and
1: it is a good question, <laughs> and honestly a lot of people have been asking me that and I don't think you'll like my answer, but I don't know how to balance that yeah. because I didn't and it's not it's not like it ended with me figuring out how to take care of myself and her. It ended with me only having myself now. And um, I'm still, I guess, learning how to kind of take care of myself and balance my own mental health with others. I've been very lucky, and I've had a lot of incredible friends and other assistants of support like my family to kind of help me on those lines. But I know for me when it kind of gets, you know, when I get really stressed, I do end up just talking to, like, professionals, and that's been really helpful instead of keeping it just all to me, which is what I did mm-hmm. until, literally last year. Um, but, yeah, so I think, you know, when it comes to taking care of, like, friends and you, I think it's just really important. Instead of, like, first helping your friend, and then, like, you know, going back, I'm like, all right, now, like, I've helped him, they're done. Like, how do I help myself? I think it's more should be all right, am I stable enough to help someone else right now? And if not, I they need to respect that because otherwise I'm not going to be able to help them properly either.
0: Exactly. And as you said, if, if you get to a point where you can't take care of yourself, you're not going to be able to take care of someone else too.
1: Yeah, yeah. Uh, I mean, well, you can't, you'll just burn out right. quickly. Like, you won't be stable after, which was my issue. And I just realized that, like, hella too late. <laughs> right. But...
0: So... At what point in this journey did you become a mental health advocate, and and what does that look like for you now?
1: So I, when I talk about my whole journey with advocacy, I kind of talk about it in two parts. I have my first part, which was in high school, and then my second part, which was here at Queen's. Um, In high school, which was kind of the bulk of me struggling with my friend, I kind of joined, took over, and recreated our wellness committee at school because, clearly, I knew firsthand what was going on in kind of lives of, like, teenagers at this point on a mental health-related like related issue. Um, so I took over that being resident of that, really kind of reconstructed our system at Lawrence, um, and that was great. We hosted, like, wellness assemblies, we spread it all over, it really blew up, and it was awesome. Coming to Queens, I first year I didn't do anything second year I mostly did not do anything as well and then my friend passed away and then I got my dad connected me to one of the founders of Jack.org Eric where I emailed him my dad emailed him introducing us and then I got invited to the summit our Jack.org regional summit and I went to that and it's actually the reason it's funny that I'm doing a podcast on this, but the whole reason I got involved with Jack.org is because at that summit there was a speaker and I don't remember his name. Which one? I don't remember his name. So
0: what did he what did he I don't Oh sorry. <laughs> Basically what he said though,
1: for those who are curious like you, um, he put the term compassion fatigue in my vocabulary. And he said I literally remember I was sitting at the back. I didn't know anybody there, I knew like two people there. And he was like, oh, blah, 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 and that's compassion fatigue. And I literally was like, holy crap, there is a term for how I've been feeling for like seven years now. And I thought I was just being selfish, you know, thinking that I'm exhausted by helping my friend who clearly needs my help. And they're like, no, like, this is a real thing. Many people experience it. And I, like, I started crying. I was so happy um, because it just like validated everything I'd been feeling for just years. And
0: you never heard that term before? Never, that? I
1: never heard that term mm-hmm. before. It was like at our summit and I was actually sitting with one of the other execs last year, Jana, and she like noticed I was like freaking out and I was like talking to her about everything. She was like, you should join her like team. And I was like, I've never even heard, heard about this organization before. I'm not gonna apply to be an exec. And she goes, Just just like do it. And I was like, okay. And like filled out the application like did my interview now on the exact board and it's been just like an incredible journey since I've been you know every week I get like another message from someone either I used to know well or someone I don't know just saying how much our work is impacting them like I'll be at the club and like someone's like come up to me and be like you're with Jack and I'm like who are you and they're like you've like helped us so much all stuff and I was like that's really cool Thank you. Like I don't know what to do, but it's really it's like a really nice feeling just. It's kind of, rewarding. It's really yeah. rewarding, It's, you know? Kind of knowing what we're doing is actually helping people out because it's hard in this field because you know every week we hear about like another suicide or another like crisis and you know sometimes you're doing all this work and you're you're not really seeing the rewards you're just kind of seeing what else is wrong and it, it you know it, it's hard it's really mentally exhausting sometimes to do this kind of work. But it's really nice, you know, knowing that
0: what we're doing is helping students. Mm. So my next question is, how do you balance? We've talked about this a little mm-hmm. bit, but, you know, as you've talked about, there's your own mental health, there's taking care of your friends, yeah. and then there's advocating for mental health. And so they're all kind of different in my mind. And so how do you balance trying to advocate as part of jack.org trying to make all this impact as well as taking care of your own mental health because i think that compassion fatigue is also real when you're trying to oh
1: for sure
0: focus on this problem and and as you said it's not an easy thing to do because you don't always see the reward so how do you what what continues what drives you to continue to do that work and how do you balance that with your own mental health
1: it's a really good question, and again, I'm still kind of figuring that out. I am still new to, I mean, the, the um, committee I did in high school was like a much like more like low-key kind of committee than definitely this one is, so I'm still kind of, you know, learning how to kind of, oh, what's the word I'm looking for, advocacy fatigue, I'm still learning kind of how to cope with that for sure. But I think what I've been doing, which has been helping me, is I kind of go about, you know, my day-to-day life, and then I just kind of have to do a little, like, self-check-ins whenever I'm, like, working on a big project, or, like, I know, like, whenever I'm going to give a talk, or, like, even this podcast, um, whenever I'm, like, talking about, like, advocacy advocacy work or my own story, I just need to kind of be like, all right, like, how am I feeling? Am I stressed? Am I stressed? How do I solve that? And then continue on. I think... Also, and this is more like just my individual case, it's hard for me not to continue within this kind of an organization is because I've lost someone incredibly close to me to mental illness. I myself have struggled with anxiety, depression, and just like the whole reason I'm doing this is so no one else has to go through that. Or if they do go through that, it's so easy to get help mm-hmm. or it's easy to talk about. and. You know, whenever I'm kind of like, alright, this work is really difficult, I am not really seeing anything happen, like, I don't waste my time, I'm exhausted, and then I'm like, okay, but if I stop, and if everyone would just stop doing that, then everyone's just going to be, you know, like, walking around, not talking about their mental illness or, like, their stress, and then Mm. it's just going to lead, and, like, it sucks, but it's just going to lead to more suicides, and, like, that's exactly what I'm trying to stop. Mm. So I think just kind of like reflecting on why I got into this and making sure, you know, I'm always at like a good level and like more or less emotionally stable has been really helpful. Just like little check-ins throughout the week, taking time out of my day to just kind of like be alone with myself, do stuff I know that makes me happy. surround myself with, like, friends, and, like, I've also just been, like, going to Toronto a bit more lately because I have been stressed out, so being with my family has been really helpful. Um, but that, all that's, like, definitely helped.
0: Right. As you said, too, I think that in this type of field, it's it's not easy. No, it's not. And, you know, if you're trying to stop... Talking about this
1: with my Uber guy, actually, last night. Oh, really? he's in the He's in the support care system, and he... Did It's actually a cool story. He was in that for, I think, it was 11 years. As a... He didn't want to tell me too much about him. But apparently he worked kind of post-trauma, talking to families, which actually my mom used to do as well. Mm. And he said after 11 years, like, he actually has gone back to school now to get a business degree. Because he was telling me he was like, working in a field like this is so mentally exhausting. Mm. And it is so hard to constantly be talking about and thinking about mental illness and mental stress and like suicide and all that. Like it's really heavy topics that even people at our age are usually not kind of focused on, which is also just like, you know, still we're all kind of getting used to even those ideas, I think. Mm-hmm. But we need to kind of, you know, take a step back now and then. And like, I think, and like this might sound bad, but like, I think you can't make this kind of stuff your entire Life. You also need oh, to yeah. Like you need to also have other things going on to be able to balance your kind of your advocacy work. Whether that be school, whether that be extracurriculars, or now apparently that you sing, you know, stuff, <coughs> like, that. <laughs> and stuff like that. You know, you need other things going on in the background to be able to balance that. So when you do get stressed, you have something else to turn to. You can't only really turn to your advocacy work because it's exhausting.
0: And I, I don't think that's a bad thing either i think that's a good thing too and as you said if this is your only thing that you're doing and you're focused on putting all of your energy into it and you're not getting anywhere it's very frustrating and not only is it frustrating but it's also personally frustrating because you know as you've said if you've had personal experience with it and people aren't responding to it it can be very you know, I, I get really angry sometimes because I'm saying, what what do you mean you don't want to come to this conference? What do you, you know? And, and why wouldn't you? Right. And so, as you said, you know, there, it's good to have those rewarding moments that kind yeah. of make you and help you continue and also yeah. reflecting on, on why you're doing it for yes, sure. for sure. Agreed. I think those are some really good points. So, what has helped you on your journey and looking back what have you what have you learned what hasn't worked what has worked
1: um that's a good question I don't know um for me I I've tried to get a lot of my friends involved since my friend passed away in mental health advocacy work and all that and it's been pretty well responded to for me I think sharing my story has been really helpful with people um a lot of people know kind of everything that's been happening because I have known them for a while but I've also kept quiet about a lot of it Uh, just because it's, you know, it's personal and everything and I think just opening up to people and I think this goes for really everyone like opening up to people and kind of letting them in a bit on mental health and everything has been, it's always well responded to in my experience, I know not everywhere um, but it's been really well responded to and I think it's also engaged a lot of my friends in it as well as my family too which has been really, really cool. Just kind of educating them on what's to work and what I do, and they're always like, we're so proud of you and like, things. Like, come to the summit, even though I don't know how you're gonna get up here. Come to the summit, like, so that's been great. Um, but definitely just kind of spreading the message and kind of telling people why we do this, because it's not just about like school stress, it's so, something so much bigger than this, that it's just the fact we're doing it on kind of a localized campus. I think people get confused that they think we're just there to kind of be like, oh, right, you're stressed with an Sam, what do you do? But it's like, it is that, but we're also going on a much deeper level than that, which is something we're trying to solve. And I think really spreading that message has been really helpful in just kind of growing our platform, which is also, like, reinforced, er, sorry, Um. yeah, reinforced kind of what I would like to see happen kind of, like, my overall happiness level because like when I see us growing I see us making changes which is also helping me kind of cope as well.
0: Absolutely. So I I'm just curious, you know, knowing mm-hmm. what you know now, if you were back in that situation mm-hmm. with your friend, what would you have done? Or would you have done anything differently?
1: And I it's just like I was like talking to this actually about my therapist a few weeks ago that like, I don't know. I mean, like, that's a really hard question because on one hand, I, me alone, because her family was out of the picture, mm-hmm. she wasn't really seeing therapy and she her, she wasn't really taking her meds. But like I was able to, while I did have to kind of put my life on hold, and it did impact my mental health quite a bit like I was kind of able to like keep her alive for seven years which is I think something I don't really think about a lot um just because it's like sad <laughs> mm-hmm. that that was ever even like no one should ever be put in that situation and right. looking back I don't really know how I got myself into that situation I don't there was like a day that I was like all right we're gonna take was care it it. Yeah. no it was gradual I didn't know it was happening until it was happening um, but like I can't imagine myself ever kind of telling her I can't do this anymore I that's just not me mm-hmm. if someone needs help like my instinct is to help them and I think looking back even knowing what I know now I mean I tried already to like connect with a therapist and all that like I did all the resource stuff and I just it wasn't responding to and when someone's putting their trust in your hands you're not going to I mean, at least for me, like, I wasn't going to hand it away, mm-hmm. right? I really did take it as my responsibility, and I kept with it for years. And I like to think I did a good job, and I just, I don't know, I just, I don't think I would have changed anything. I think for me, I would have gotten my own support system. Right. And that's the only thing I would have changed, because I did not have that. I kept it quiet about right. it. Um, but I don't think in... Retrospective, I would have done anything different with her. I just would have done other stuff with me.
0: So do you think there's anything... I mean, obviously, it's a very complex situation. Yeah. Do you think there's anything that we can do as a society, as resources, any kind of thing yeah. that would at least have helped?
1: Yeah, I think, you know, if you are helping a struggling friend, to kind of, even if you don't want to... Because I know for me, like, when she was struggling, I didn't want to tell anyone, right? Because then um, it would have driven her away, and I wouldn't be worried about... Okay, well who she can go to now, right? She didn't have anyone else. Mm-hmm. So I think it is it gets really hard when you don't want to talk to anyone else about it and you feel this kind of burden almost on yourself. Mm-hmm. So even if you want to kind of keep quiet about that and just, you know, still help her or him to kind of then have your own support system of friends. So when it does get tired when it does get hard with that one, you know, person, you have someone to go to as well. And you know, which May mean a therapist. It may mean friends. It may mean family. It may mean you know, extracurriculars and hobbies. But just having something else to go do is really important. Which I did not do. I made that kind of my life. It completely took over and it did not end well for me. Um, but I think definitely just having something that can kind of help like fill your bucket up again. Mm-hmm. Usually talking that it with someone and kind of explaining your own, you know how you're feeling with dealing with all that and helping with that is really important.
0: That's a good answer. <laughs>
1: Thank you.
0: Those are all my questions. Do you have any closing thoughts? Anything you'd like to say
1: um, to all of the listeners? To all of us, all two of us in this room. <laughs> um, yeah, kind of. I mean. I just wanna, I guess, say that, I get, I don't know. Um, basically, when you're helping someone and you feel that compassion fatigue, it's really easy to feel guilty about having it, which is what I always did, and then that's why I kind of didn't kind of acknowledge it. I think it's really important that, even if it doesn't feel like you should, that you should be sometimes putting yourself forward, if not always putting yourself forward, whether that means kind of taking a step back from helping a close friend in the moment it sucks and it's going to feel like the wrong thing to do and you know even if that does like in the short run kind of mess up your own kind of like I always had like a game plan of how I was going to help out even if that does kind of like mess that up I think it's just really important to kind of you have to remember to keep your own mental health in order before helping someone else Mm -hmm. and to kind of create your own Mental health system and your resource plan. So, when it does get hard, you have people to kind of fall back on or to go to to kind of lift you back up so you're able to keep helping. Um, just kind of remembering to keep yourself happy before you try and make other people happy is really important. Yeah. Cool.
0: Well, thank you very much. That was, that was a great interview. Thank you.